Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I tell you what, he's a lot more obsessed with me than I am with him. <laughs> if Donald is the nominee, Hillary wins and she wins by double digits. If you're a Hillary supporter, you're rooting for Donald. Obfuscate the real problems facing our society and find somebody you can blame. That's what demagoguery is about. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the much-married presidential candidate Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. In its new issue, Politico magazine gathered five Trump biographers together for a roundtable discussion. Two of them have already been on this show, Wayne Barrett and Tim O'Brien. Today I'm going to speak to a third, Gwenda Blair. It was a great idea Politico had to get them all in one room to compare notes. And I think their key point of agreement was that you can't find out anything about Donald Trump from Donald Trump, or at least you can't find out much that's true. Here's how Harry Hurt III put it. An hour's worth of quotes equals about six or seven hours worth of fact-checking. It's either half-truths, non-truths, or lies. Michael D'Antonio, another biographer, continues, that's the big challenge of interviewing Donald Trump. Do you get anything you can rely on? How much truth is in there and how much is distortion? And here's today's guest, Gwenda Blair. Whenever I went to interview him, I always felt like a failure because he would never say anything. It would just be blather. He would say how great he was, and then I would get more blather. Gwenda spent more than a decade working on a book about three generations of Trumps. Donald, his father Frederick Christ Trump, known as Fred, and his grandfather Friedrich, known as Frederick. I'm going to ask her about the Trump family history in a few minutes. But first, our friends at Second City tried to find out if Donald is right about Hillary stealing votes by playing the woman card. Well, I think the only card she has is the woman's card. She's got nothing else going. And frankly, if Hillary Clinton were a man, I don't think she'd get 5% of the vote. The only thing she's got going is the woman's card. And the beautiful thing is women don't like her, okay? And look how well I did with women tonight, okay? So uh, you say you're voting for Hillary Clinton, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, And what issues are most important to you politically? I honestly think that we're getting screwed by China, and I think that it's about time that we get into a trade war with them. Okay, so you know that Hillary Clinton is not probably going to actively pursue a trade war with China, right? Well, honestly, I like that she's a woman, to be quite honest with you. And what about you? Are you voting for Hillary Clinton? Yeah, that's right. And what's at stake for you in this election? Well, I think the most important thing is having someone who's been successful in in business, in the private sector, someone who knows business, someone who's a Washington outsider. 
But you just said you're supporting Hillary Clinton. Well, I, I wasn't at first, but then I read an article that says she's a woman, and I, I'm into that. The Democrats are awful on security issues, but I do think it's cool that Hillary has a vagina. I hate the stuff Hillary says about gun control. She really disrespects the Second Amendment. That drives me nuts. But then I remember that she's a girl. And I feel like it'd be cool if the president was a girl. Time and time again, Clinton voters revealed that when it comes to the substance of the issues, they prefer the rational, consistent policies advocated by Donald Trump. Let's hope for his sake, these voters can abandon their shallow obsession with gender when it comes time to elect a president in the fall. My guest today is Gwenda Blair. She's the author of The Trumps, Three Generations of Builders and a Presidential Candidate. Gwenda, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you are the one who found that the family name back when in Germany was Drumpf, right? Which John Oliver has been making a lot of merry with. Indeed. It, I, I have to admit that not being as clever as John Oliver, I'm not sure I quite understood what a brilliant coup that was, but he's done well with it. Um, tell me a little bit about the family going back. You start with the grandfather, Friedrich, uh, who emigrated to America and ended up in the Northwest, and I guess um, politely put was uh, ran some whorehouses in the gold gold mining territory. Well, I think he saw the market, was very shrewd about what people wanted, which was food, shelter, alcohol, women, and he provided all of those things. So he was very sharp about that, and he was sharp about when to leave. He left, well, he still had his nest egg, Went before things went set, went bust, and was back on the east coast with that nest egg, and which was the basis of the family fortune. So uh, Friedrich was the father of Fred Trump, who was Donald Trump's father. Tell me about Fred Trump. Fred Trump was only twelve when his father Friedrich died in 1918 during the flu epidemic, and Friedrich, Grandpa, who had actually changed his name to Frederick very confusing, um, had gotten the family to Queens, had bought maybe a dozen properties, had just begun in real estate when he died. So the family was already turned in that direction. His widow used the income off of those properties. Fred studied drafting in high school and in night school, began building a neighbor's garage, then spec houses, and then eventually made his fortune off of the next frontier, which was the New Deal under the Roosevelt administration, when there were um, federal housing programs and tax abatement programs. Fred Trump was, again, just like his father, very sharp about what people were looking for, which were was middle-income housing with just a little bit special about each of these thousands of apartments and built and homes that he built like, for example, an extra closet, a garage under the house, sort of the nice little front stoop, just a little bit extra. That's what people wanted, something modest, but just something a little bit special. Fred Trump was very sharp about that, made a fortune. Now, was this a business that depended on political connections, or was it just a matter of there was the Federal Housing Administration as part of the New Deal, and there were subsidies from the government that was encouraging home ownership and mortgages, or was it more than that? Both. The federal government during the Depression did encourage home ownership and provided 
subsidies for mortgages. Fred Trump was very sharp about buying up property, being first in line for every kind of federal program that existed, every kind of subsidy there ever was. He got it. And you got those things by having political connections, being very tight with the Democratic political machine in Brooklyn, one of whose members was Abe Beam, and he was the mayor of New York City at the time that Donald was coming up, and that turned out to be very handy. Mm. Now, having spent all this time writing about him, when you think about Donald Trump's father, Fred Trump, does he seem to you like a sleazy guy or like a decent guy, as real estate developers go? He was a guy who knew how it worked. He was a very shrewd bargainer, a negotiator. He was famous for going into a closing when everybody had their pencils and pen, you know, pens ready to sign. And then he would want to negotiate another quarter of a cent here and another penny there. What was he like as a father, do you think? Tough, very tough. He was from a world where it was just about winning and losing. That was it. And those were, that's what he taught his sons. He was very taken with The Power of Positive Thinking, a book that came out in 1952 by Norman Vincent Peale. And his philosophy was about success and why people should go for it and how to go for it. And he said, do anything to win, never back down, never quit. Did the other siblings imbibe that mentality and that philosophy the way Donald did from his father? Donald was actually not the oldest son. There were five children. He was fourth from the top. There was an older son and two girls. Girls, as one of them told me, didn't really matter very much in the family business line of succession. They were really, it was never possible that they could take over the business. She, by the way, ended up a federal judge, so she did very well. But it was going to be a guy who was going to take over the business. And the oldest son, Fred Trump Jr., named after his father, was not cut out for it. Donald was. Donald studied his father. He was quite the apprentice himself and ended up the heir apparent very early on. So the siblings sound a little more like normal people. Uh, What do they think of Donald? How do the ones who are still around get get along with him now? The, The older sister, the one who's now a federal judge, Mary Ann, when I talked to her, she had a very clear eyed notion of Donald. Uh, I think the family is tight. They've been close. They have holidays together. They seem to be a very close-knit group, but she had a very clear-eyed picture of him as somebody who was very aggressive. I remember her telling me about watching her son play uh, catch with Donald when the boy was seven, maybe five, six, seven, and she said Donald was throwing the ball really hard. It was like he was with a professional baseball player that he he didn't know how to not completely demolish the competition even when it was a little <laughs> kid. Um, you've you've spent a lot of time around his hair. I have indeed, and I have a kind of a theory about it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a little facetious, but I, I really think of it as kind of his secret weapon. When I whenever I say I've written a book about him, people do always ask me about his hair. They say, why doesn't he do something about it? Doesn't he know how ridiculous it looks? And I don't think he would ever change it. Uh, first of all, I think he thinks it looks good, but it's this ridiculous-looking thing, and it's like the red nose on a clown. It kind of, it kind of disarms people. It makes it 
okay to say things with a clown. It makes it okay to hit somebody in the head with a baseball bat. And you, you laugh at it. You don't really take it seriously. With Donald, that look, the hair, it's kind of disarming. It makes people sort of smile. And then he, he just, right under the radar, comes in some something that's just an unacceptable thing to say, <laughs> which ordinarily you people wouldn't listen. I think the hair, it kind of humanizes him in a weird way. At the same time, it makes him into a cartoon. That's really interesting. But he thinks of it as part of his strength, doesn't he? I mean, he thinks baldness is weakness and, you know, bald people are kind of losers, right? And having a lot of hair is part of why he's a winner who's and powerful. Absolutely. He does see baldness as being a loser. But I think it's, it's not just the hair. It's that particular kind of buffoonish hair. And he also, in a funny way, he stands with you and looks at that cartoon figure. He talks in the third person about himself. There's a funny distance thing that that hair lets happen. There's a story about uh, Donald at his father's funeral and giving a eulogy where he just talked about himself. I was there, and I must say I was surprised that all the surviving children were there. The two sisters and the younger brother all spoke warmly about their father. Each of them had a little anecdote. One of them recited a poem. And then Donald spoke and spoke only about himself and his achievements. As I guess, I could only surmise that he felt that was the tribute that he was going to make, that his father's greatest accomplishment had been Donald. Now that he's running for president, what do you think this family story really tells us about him? What's important to take away? When I started doing the book, it was going to be just Donald. But when I got a sense of this family, dad, grandpa, I really saw it as this kind of three-generational epic that kind of spelled American capitalism, you know, better, worse. Others can decide, but of this focus on winning, on profit, you win or you lose. That's it. That's the value system. Everything is transactional. It was that way for his grandfather, it was that way for his father, and it's that way for Donald, which really kind of throws other value systems in disarray, including a notion of some kind of social vision, of some sort of social contract, of inclusivity, of some larger notion of purpose. That's not what they're about. They're about winning or losing. Gwenda Blair teaches at the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism and is the author of The Trumps, Three Generations of Builders and a Presidential Candidate. Gwenda, thanks for taking the time. Likewise. Bye-bye. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. The show is produced by Henry Malovsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Thanks to Steve Waltine of Second City for writing today's sketch and to all the people who participated in our show. A special thanks, as always, to John D. Domenico, our voice of Mr. Trump. We were having so much fun with these tweets that we animated some of them. You can watch them and share them if you go to facebook.com slash slate. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. So many false and phony TV commercials being broadcast in Indiana reminds me of Florida, where thousands were put up, I won in a landslide.